Amen? I believe that. There's power in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. And so I'm going to bring it to you today. I'm going to sow some seed in your life today. And I'm going to believe that you're going to take that seed and you're going to plant it in fertile ground and you're going to see a harvest in your life because of the Word of God. Amen. Are you ready to receive it? Turn to Isaiah chapter 61, if you will, today. Isaiah chapter 61. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I, I, I thought about pausing from our series that we're currently in and preaching something about freedom and, and preaching something that was appropriate to the holiday. But I'll be honest with you, I just don't like to do that. I just, when, when the Lord has me on a mission... I just, I hate to set that mission aside just to do church the way that it's expected. So today I'm just going to stay with what it is that I feel like the Lord's wanting me to say to you today. And I'm helping you, I think. The Word of God is helping you. I'm not doing it only as a vessel. But I'm trying to help you understand who you are in Christ Jesus. Because I am convinced in my mind and in my spirit that if we can ever discover who we are in Him, that our lives will change and the world around us will change. When we start walking and moving every day in the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus, things cannot remain the same. They cannot remain the same because the devil cannot stick around and stay in, in your realm of, of in, in your area when God is doing a powerful thing in your life. And so today in Isaiah chapter 61... The prophet Isaiah is prophesying. Now, he's not speaking about himself, but he is speaking prophetically about one who will come, one who is on the way, someone who will come many years down the road, and this is what he will look like. Isaiah chapter 61, beginning with verse 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. I think the King James says a spirit of heaviness. That they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And that they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will help me to communicate effectively today. That you want me to say the things that will edify this body of believers and help them to get in their spirit. 
who they are in Christ Jesus. And today, for those who have been wounded, for those who have been scratched up, for those who have been beaten up, for those who have had difficult times that they've had to deal with, Lord, may they leave this place today with the understanding that in Christ, that they are mended and they are bound up and they are ready to walk in healing in their life, in their body, in their soul, in their mind, in their spirit, in their finances. Lord, whatever has come against them to try to kill, steal, or destroy them, let them see today that by what you have done, Jesus, Lord, we are free and we are mended. We ask it in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. Now, if I started preaching in Isaiah 61 and covered everything that is there, uh, we'd be here until tonight. So if you don't mind, I want to take you to one particular phrase that I want to focus on today. And it is, it, it is found in verse 1, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And listen to this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Bind up the brokenhearted. Now that word bind up there is not a word of constriction. It's not saying that God has come to bind you up. And make it so that you cannot move in liberty and in freedom. In fact, just the opposite is true. He has come to loose the bonds and to mend the wounds that has brought the broken heart that you are experiencing in your life today. He has the medicine that you need to heal whatever it is that has broken your spirit and broken your heart. Turn me down just a little bit more, if you will, David. You see, when, when, when we go through life, we get nicks and dings and bruises. And, and sometimes we don't even know that we're broken. And sometimes we don't even know that we need to be mended. Let me give you an example. Throw that picture up, if you will, John. Just, just a few days ago, the girls were at the house. And uh, they discovered, Jovi did, these little ice packs that you typically put inside a cooler. If you're going to go camping and put drinks or whatever, these little blue packs are those little ice packs. And we keep them in the freezer so that they'll all be, always be ready to go. Jovi feels like that God has called her to be Doc McStuffins. She has let us know that that's her calling in life, that if there's a bruise or if there is, uh, according to her diagnosis, diagnosis, if there is a boo-boo, she can fix it. And there are times that I have boo-boos that I didn't even know that I had. Now, there are times that I have boo-boos that are very evident. The other day, I was wearing some shorts, and I had a boo-boo on this shin and a, and a boo-boo on the other leg. And Jovi came by, and she said, I'll be right back. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to get Band-Aids. I said, why? She said, I'm going to fix your boo-boo. She came back, and I had, I don't know what kind of band-aids they were, probably Dora or Doc or Frozen, whatever it was. It was on my legs. But then she looked at me, and she said, you know what your problem is, Pop? She said, you have a headache. 
I did not know I had a headache. But if the doctor says you have a headache, you know, and there are only four, guess what? You have a headache. She said, sit down in the chair there. I'm going to take care of you. And I sat down in the chair, and she got one of those ice packs. And as you can see, she is applying the ice pack to the headache that I did not know. And I did not even know until the other day when I looked at this picture a second time that the nurse's assistant was there in the picture as well. Because if you look in the middle, way back at the back, there's a second ice pack, and it is being applied by Harper. Thank God today I am happy, healthy, and whole because I have Jovi, otherwise known as Doc McStuffins, and her assistant, Miss Harper, to take care of things that I didn't even know I had wrong with me. Now, in our lives, there are things that are bothering us, and we don't even know really what it is. The, the Scripture says, the truth shall set you free. And until we find out and discover what the truth is and the root of the problem that we're dealing with, then we cannot fix it. We cannot come to a place of freedom. But I have good news for you today. Jesus came and he said in Luke, chapter, in, in Luke he said, I am the one who came in, in accordance with the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 61. And he said, I am the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord resides and he has anointed me to do all of these things that Isaiah prophesied that he would do. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the healer. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who takes us out of our bondage and brings freedom to our lives. Jesus is the hope and the help and the health that each and every one of us need today. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm grateful for Jesus today. I'm so thankful for Jesus. So he said, I have come to bind you up or to mend you with spiritual resources. Now this word mend, if you study it out in scripture, it has three different ideas that it brings with it. I want to share those three things with you today. The first one is that it means to repair, to repair. Now, in this sense, to mend is to repair damage so that additional use may be realized. Let me say that again. To mend, in this sense, is to repair damage so that additional use may be realized. Now, the best way that I know how to describe this to you and illustrate it to you is that when I was a kid... I used to wear dungarees a lot. Now, how many of you know what dungarees are? Can I see your hands? See if any young people know what dungarees are. Anybody know what dungarees are? They're, they're jeans. But, but back in the day, we used to call them dungarees. We weren't high class enough to have dungarees. We had never heard, uh, or, or, or excuse me, jeans. We had dungarees. We'd never heard of skinny jeans they were, they were fat so that we could grow into them. You know what I'm saying? Parents were conserving every dollar that they could conserve. So when we got new clothes, we got them 
uh, sizes larger and belts that we would pull all the way out to here and hook in to keep them up because mom wanted those dungarees to last. My dungarees never lasted though. And where I always had the problem was right here on the knees. Because I was always on my knees. I was always on the ground. Now, you got to understand, we weren't allowed to wear short pants. In the church I was growing up, if you wore short pants, you were going to hell. I mean, that's just the way it was. We did not wear short pants. And there were a few guys that I saw wearing short pants, and I was thankful I didn't have to wear them. But because back in the 70s when I was growing up, men used to cut them all the way up here. I don't know if you remember that or not. And they'd be walking around and have these little, twin, these little things, what do you call fringes down here? But they'd be all the way up here, and I'd say, thank God for an old-fashioned holiness church that makes me wear dungarees. Because I didn't want to look like that. But I was always wearing my dungarees out because I'd be outside in the hot summertime or whatever playing. And if I was on the, on the ground, I was wearing my dungarees out. So my mom used to buy those iron-on patches. How many of you remember those? And put them on the inside and they'd iron that baby on. And before they had the iron on, they had to actually stitch them on and mend them on. And so when I, they would get to the place where my knees were hanging out, she'd say, bring me those dungarees, boy. And she would fix those things and cut all the fringe. Now today, you buy brand new jeans with holes already in them. It's a thing to do, but not in my day. I mean, if you had holes in your gene, you were, of the, you were of the worst of the worst, the poorest of the poor. And so we'd fix our dungarees up. I couldn't get them down in the little farm community where we lived. So my mom, every now and then, about two or three times a year, we'd load up in the car and we would go to the big city. You know where the big city was? Evansville, Indiana. And we'd go to Sears. Anybody remember shopping at Sears? Jacques Pinier, J.C. Penney. And say, J.C. Penney sounded too country to us, so we called it Jacques Pinier. We get our Jacques Pinier dungarees, and we wore them out just as fast as everything else. And so mom would fix these dungarees, and she would repair them so that she could get additional use out of something that was not totally destroyed. It was bruised, it had a hole in it, but the patch repaired it so that it could continue to be used. Now in 1 Kings chapter 19, go ahead and turn there if you will, we'll see a picture of a prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a great man of God. Elijah moved in the supernatural. Elijah moved in signs and wonders. I mean, when Elijah spoke... God listened to his prayers, and things happened simply because Elijah spoke it into existence under the anointing of God. But as you know, Elijah, Elijah went through a season in his life where, where uh, he had a hard time continuing to operate in the anointing. You know, you know in, 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 in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see him in verse 9, it says, There... He came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they have thrown down your altars, and they have killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. King James says a still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars and they have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. Now let me explain to you what's going on here. Elijah had come to a place where he was suffering emotionally. And God wanted to repair him and restore him, but Elijah could not bring him to a place to to get back to total restoration. So God did not cast him aside, but instead he did a work in his life that allowed him to continue being fruitful even though he was not as fruitful as he had once been. Now, just in the previous chapter, we see that Elijah had called all the prophets of Baal out to Mount Carmel. And he said, bring your best game, boys, because today we're going to find out who the Lord God of Israel is. And he allowed them to go first. And they built the altar. And and they sang. and And they worshiped. And they cut themselves. And they did everything they could to get their God to answer their prayers with fire and consume the sacrifice that was on the offering, on on the altar, but their gods could not respond. They had no ability whatsoever to respond to their prayers because they were not, in fact, real gods. They were man-made gods. And Elijah began to uh, he began to uh, say things to them and make fun of them. Where is your God? And on one occasion he said, maybe he's taking a bathroom break. You know, where where is your God? And they did everything that they knew to do and could not conjure up what needed to happen to to uh, to get the sacrifice. And so so Elijah finally said, step out of the way, boys. It's time now for us to find out who the real God is. And he dug a 
trench around the, the sacrifice and around the altar and he, and he poured water in and that wasn't enough so they poured more water in and that wasn't enough so they poured more water in and they poured water on top of the sacrifice and he stepped back and the scripture says that he spoke 63 powerful words of prayer and when he finished his prayer the fire from heaven fell and consumed the, the sacrifice and he said don't let one of these false prophets escape we're going to slay every last one of them and that day he slew over 400 prophets of Baal pretty good day for a prophet wouldn't you say and then some big mouth woman came along and said may the gods do to me even more than this if I don't have Elijah dead by this time tomorrow and Elijah heard it, and when he did, he started shaking in his boots. He started running like crazy. He started running for the mountains to get away from that woman that was after him. And it was the words of that woman that destroyed his confidence in him himself and his confidence in his calling and what God had called him to do. And he went up on the mountain and he told God, he said, just kill me today. I don't want to live another day. I'm done. I'm finished. It's over. Just kill me today. And instead, God fed him. Instead, God just stroked his ego a little bit. God let him know that I'm here for you. I love you. Come out here and let me talk to you. It, it, it's, it, you know, and they, all this stuff started happening. And, but Scripture says God wasn't in this and God wasn't in that and God wasn't in this. But God was in the still, small voice that he whispered to Elijah. And he repaired him. To the point that he was, he was still useful. He could have said to Elijah, okay, if you're done, then I'm done. If you want to die, I'll just go ahead and take you right now. Let's just get that done. How do you want to die? Do you have a preference? But he didn't do that. He repaired him and stood him up. And he said, now I want you to go because I have a job for you to do. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but one of the things that he was supposed to do was go and find Elisha and anoint Elisha so that Elisha could walk in the anointing that Elijah had. And he bestowed his anointing upon Elisha. And the scripture bears out that Elisha had a double portion of the anointing that came to him through the prophet Elijah. God was not finished with Elijah yet. And so he repaired him so that he could be fruitful even though it was not on the same level as he had been fruitful in previous years. So God can repair us. Secondly, secondly, God can restore us. Now to be restored means to mend in the sense that something is restored to its original value and usefulness. Let me say that again. To mend in the sense that something is restored to its original value and usefulness. How many of you have one of these dumb smartphones? You got one? How many of you ever cracked the screen on it? Anybody? Nobody? Really? Ah, come on, raise your hands. There you go. Hey, you got to have a move with the Holy Ghost before you can put your hands up, huh? 
I'm usually pretty good with my phone, and I keep a case on it, so I, you know, it's usually fairly well protected. But one day, uh, uh, several months back, I, I fumbled my phone, and I dropped it, and when it went down, it somehow hit right on the corner of a desk that was close by, and so the case was not able to protect it, and it just, it just shattered everywhere. Well, I, I did not cuss, praise the Lord. I did not say anything inappropriate at all except, well, thank you, Jesus, that my phone's broke and now I don't have to take any more calls. Amen. No, I didn't say that. I told my wife, I said, well, I hate to say it, but I got to go get my phone fixed. So I crawled in the car. I was under contract, had one of those insurance policies on it, drove all the way out to St. Matthew's, went into the Apple store, and I was expecting for somebody to give me the runaround. And I went in and I said, well, I dropped my phone. I don't know if that's covered under the insurance policy or not. I'm at fault. Slipped out of my hand. Fell on the corner. They looked at it. They, 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 you know, they turned it on, turned it off, looked at it. The obvious problem was the screen was shattered. But they're looking at everything. And finally, they looked back and they said, your screen is shattered. I said, they they make some pretty smart people here in Louisville, Kentucky. I said, you're right. They said, what do you want to do? (laughs) I said, I think I'd like for you to fix it if it's okay. You know, can you fix that? And they said, well, said, here's what we're going to do. Said, people do this all the time. Said, we see these all all day long and said, here's what, we're going to swap phones with you. We're going to take your broken phone and we're going to give you a refurbished phone that had a screen broken on it, but we fixed it. And it's good as new. It operates just like it did when it came out of the box before. The screen, in fact, is stronger than the original screen because they've improved the technology and, and, and all that goes into it since yours was made. So if you don't mind and if you're willing to do it, just hand us your phone and we will hand you one that has been completely and totally restored and it will have the same warranty as the one that you currently hold in your hand. I said, let's do it. I'm ready to do it. Can I get all my stuff off this one? Yeah, no problem. They did all that. And let me tell you something. In 19 minutes, I walked into the store, got the diagnosis of what I already knew was wrong with my phone. Traded my old phone for a refurbished phone and walked out the door as happy as could be. Now, whether you like iPhones or whether you like Apple or not, I'm going to tell you 19 minutes in and out the door with a refurbished, restored telephone made this boy a happy camper. And I was thrilled. How many times in our lives? Have we hit ourselves on the corner of something that seemingly had destroyed our ability to be effective? And yet what I want you to know today is that God, through Jesus Christ, has the ability and the power and the willingness to completely restore you and refurbish you so that you will be as good as new, in fact, better and stronger than you were originally. Amen. Amen. In Scripture, we see a man by the name of Job turn to chapter 42, if you will. Job chapter 42. 
You know the story of Job. In his day, he was the richest and most influential man in the world, in the nation. He had riches. He had land. He had animals. He had a family that was, that, that, that was just massive. He had houses. He was the poster boy for the prosperity gospel. He had everything. And one day, you know the scripture says that Satan came in to, to meet with God there. And, 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 and God said, have you considered my servant Job? It's always been amazing to me that God initiated the conversation with Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, well, I can't get to Job because you have favored him and protected him so that I cannot get to him. And God said, you can get to him. He said, because he's not going to deny me. You can take everything he owns from him, but you cannot touch his body. And the scripture tells us that in just a matter of a few minutes, that event after event after event after event began to happen and completely lost everything material in his life. Lost his family, lost his children, lost his grandchildren, lost his, his, his flocks. Only one left was his wife who told him, now are you going to still stand in your righteousness? And she said, why don't you go ahead and curse God and die. And here's a man who's lost everything and yet still refused to deny the existence of God in his life. So the devil comes back and he says, hey, listen. He said, let me get to his body. Let me touch him personally. And the Lord said, I will let you afflict him, but you cannot kill him. You cannot take his life. So the devil afflicted him with sores and boils on his body. And at one point we are told in scripture that he was so miserable that he sat upon a heap of ashes with broken pottery and was scraping the sores on his body because he was in such misery. Let me tell you something, this guy was in trouble. It didn't look like this guy would ever recover from something like this. And at best, we would think, well, he'll have scars and he'll have memories and he'll never walk in the same anointing and he'll never walk with the same power. He'll never possess the same authority. But then we come to Job chapter 42 and we read these words. Verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. When he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much. Somebody say twice as much. As he had before. Then came to him all of his brothers and sisters. And all who had known him before. And had ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him. For all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Verse 16. And after this, Job lived another 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man 
full of days. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't care what the devil has stolen from you. I don't care how afflicted you may feel today. Let me tell you something. God can restore whatever he needs to restore to you to bring you back to a place of full effectiveness. There's some of you sitting in this place today that you've been struggling with something that the devil took away from you. You've been struggling with something that was, that was wrestled away from you. But let me tell you, your story is not finished. Your day is not over. Because if the Lord decides to restore you, he will restore you in such a manner that you will be blessed above and beyond anything that you ever thought possible because of his power and his authority in your life. So I don't know. I don't know if I can do it or not. I don't know. Well, you can't do it in your own. In your own strength and in your own power, you cannot do it. But listen, it wasn't Job doing it in the first place. It was the God of Job who decided, I'm going to bless you. Did you see that there were people just walking up to Job and putting money in his hands? He has already been restored twice as much as ever before. And people are walking up to him and they're saying, here's a little money for you, buddy. Man, you've had a rough season in your life. Let me bless you. Let me help you. Listen, I want you to be favored by the Lord and they started pouring it you know it reminds me of that passage in scripture that says if we will give it shall be given unto us pressed down shaken together running over shall men give into your bosom let me tell you God is about to restore somebody in this place and bring you back to a place of total and absolute fullness hallelujah there's one other thing I want to share with you this morning. He can repair, he can restore, and he will rend. Rend. So now what, wait a minute, Pastor. You said this message was about mending and not rending. I don't want to stay for this part because I know what rend means. Rend means... That you're getting ready to rip something apart and tear something apart. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about that mending stuff that you were talking about. Well, just give me some time. Rend means, in this sense, a total removal of replacing something that is no longer relevant for the purpose of replacing it with something more productive or useful. Some of you ought to take your phones out and take a picture of that on screens right now because you're going to need it this week. Because there are going to be some things, I believe, I'm saying this prophetically, some things that are going to leave your life this week. Some people that may walk out of your life right now and you're going to be reminded it's okay when this rending is taking place, it's because God is doing a work in me. He's replacing something that is no longer relevant to my life and useful for my growth. And he is replacing it with something that is more productive and useful for my life. Amen. How many of you know that Spirit Life Church owns a wood stove? Are you aware of that? Oh, it's pretty. It's nice. 
This time last year, we were talking about our fall festival and what can we do this year that's different? And I remembered back one of the early churches that I pastored, we had an old wood stove and we'd make fried pies at the Lord's Acre sale. Hallelujah. And everybody at the Lord's Acre sale would come to our booth because we had a working wood stove. And our ladies would get out there and they'd make those, uh, those fried pies, those apple pies and cherry pies and peach pies and glory. Hallelujah. I can feel the spirit moving now. <clears throat> There'd be smoke coming up that smokestack. People would come away and say, what are you doing? We're frying up fried pies, homemade, on the spot. Some of the other churches had fried pies, but they did theirs at home. And they were cold. And they were no good. So everybody would come to ours because we had the wood stove. And so last year we were talking. I said, why don't we get us a wood stove? And let's make us some fried apple pies at our, at a, at our fall fest. So, wood stove, man, a wood stove. That'd be great. Let's get a wood stove. And everybody started talking, wood stove, wood stove, wood stove. And I could begin the spirit of the Lord beginning to move upon people as we start. Wood stove, wood stove, wood stove. Where can we get a wood stove? And then all of a sudden, Uncle Doug, he'd start saying things like this. I remember back in the day when my mama, she used to cook on a wood stove. And then Brother Walter, he'd jump in, glory, hallelujah. I remember we bring the wood in and she'd fry the bacon and the sausage and the eggs and hallelujah it was good and and people who lived in that day they said let's get us a wood stove and we got us a wood stove and we made us some fried apple pies I didn't have to ask anybody to help everybody said I'll help with that the the guys on the wrecking ball crew said don't worry about wood we'll get wood don't worry about it. We'll fix it. Hoyt came and brought this little thing. I think it was Hoyt. Brought this thing. We could put the wood stove on so that we could just, we could just move it around like it was in a cart at Walmart. Push it wherever we wanted to. We started cooking those pies and frying those pies and frying those pies. And I'm telling you what, people, I mean, saliva just started coming out of their mouths and spit and foaming at the mouth and give me another one. And hallelujah, let me try one of those cherry ones and glory be to Jesus. And it was good. And it was wonderful because it stirred some nostalgia in us. And helped us remember how far we have come. But when it was over, you know what? Just for fun of it, I started going around to people and saying, Hey, we need a place to store this wood stove until next year. Can we bring it to your house and take your electric stove out, your gas stove out, and put it in your house, and you just use it for the next year? I did not have one taker, not one. Not one person said, I'd love to do that. Bring it on over to my house. I'll cook it. It won't be a problem whatsoever. Not one. You know why? Because we love our electric stoves. And we love our gas stoves. Oh, they're pretty, man. They got glass tops. Some of them do now. You can put your pots and pans on the top and it's glass. And so that crumbs and and stuff doesn't go down in the burners and all that. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Nobody wants to cook every day of their lives any longer on a wood stove because there's a better way to do it now. I get amused sometimes that people want to do church the way we did it in the 1950s. Let's go back to the way it was. 
I can remember some saying, I remember the old Brush Arbor days where we had the old, old, old benches. They didn't even have backs on them. We just sat on the old benches and take our shoes off and, and just get that, those wood shavings between our toes. and Oh, for the good old days. We used to have those funeral home fans. How many of you remember those? You remember? We'd sit in church and we'd say, oh, glory. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. And the ladies that were going through menopause, they had one in both hands. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got in trouble when I was younger because I didn't understand it. The word was menopause. I thought they were saying mental pause. And we didn't have any air conditioners. He'd go over and they'd, they'd open the windows up and get the air flowing and all that kind of stuff. And we had those old wood stoves in there or coal stoves. And they'd have to go over about in the third song. And they'd have to soak up those wood stoves. And the fire would get so hot that you couldn't hardly see. And you'd start, oh, turn it down. Well, you can't turn it down. Once it gets hot, it's hot. <clears throat> Our nostalgia wants to go back to the way things were. When God has entrusted us to live in a day and an age where we have to be effective in the time that we live. So I like the wood stove. And I'm telling you, come October, when Stephanie starts frying those puppies up, I'm going to eat one of every kind we've got. Maybe two. I won't eat sugar for a week before it comes time to eat those fried pies because I love them. I love that wood stove, but I don't want it in my house. And I don't want to cook every day on that wood stove just because we did it a few years ago. I want to take you in scripture to Matthew chapter 27. I'm getting ready to quit. They said that's one of the biggest lies that preachers ever tell. I'm getting ready to quit. I don't want you to get too excited. I still got a good 10 minutes in me, so just hang tight. Sometimes something has to be removed in order to usher in a new way of living. The rending of the veil in the temple for the purpose of initiating a new paradigm of relationship between God and his people was something that had to happen so that you and I could live in relationship with Jesus Christ today. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 54. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, he's calling for Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple 
was torn in two. In the King James Version, I believe it says rent in twain. It was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. From that day forward, there has never been a veil separating God's people from the presence of the Lord. Up until that time, we were separated from the presence of God. You couldn't go in where God was. If you did, you'd die on the spot. You had to send someone in with your offering. You had to send one son, someone in. And they could only go in to the second part of the temple. Because if they went in unauthorized, they would die too. Only one time a year could the chief high priest go into the Holy of Holies. And even then, they tied a rope around his foot, his ankle, so that if while in the presence of God, he made a mistake or did something that was displeasing, to God they could pull his carcass out of the holy of holies that was the system in Jesus' day but when Jesus gave himself on that cross at Calvary and he hung there and he said it is finished we didn't need that curtain anymore we didn't need that veil anymore because we are in a new day a, a new paradigm, amen. No longer having to do it according to the law, but now we can come boldly under the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hallelujah. You don't have to wait for me to take you there. You don't have to say, oh, I can't wait to get to church. I sure hope the pastor preaches a good one because I need somebody to move me. Listen, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough communicator. I'm not holy enough. I'm not spiritual enough to usher you into the presence of God. You've got to find a way to encourage yourself in the Lord wherever you are. Whatever day of the week it is. Whatever time of the day it is. Uh, when you feel yourself down and discouraged and broken uh, and in need of mending. You don't have to call the pastor. You just have to get up and boldly find your way unto the throne of Christ. Because the rending of that curtain was actually the mending of the relationship between God and his people. What looked like a tearing away of something was actually the restoration of something that had been taken away many years before. God's going to take some things out of our lives. God's going to take some people out of our lives. But don't you get discouraged about it. Don't you get frustrated about it. Because in the midst of that rending, God sees mending taking place. 
I want to share a video with you. I want him to play it. Let's take the house lights down. I want you to watch this video. I'll come back and then we're going to pray. How many times can one heart break? It was never supposed to be this way. Look in the mirror, but you find someone you never thought you'd be. Oh, but I can still recognize the one I love in your tear-stained eyes. I know you might not see it now, so lift your eyes to me. You're not too far gone 